On today's Domain Sherpa, we're joined by Jimmy Song and Andrew Rosner. Jimmy is one of the top experts in the world on cryptocurrency, but on top of that, he is definitely one of the most extroverted, talkative, interesting, easy guys to talk to in the crypto space. Um, enjoy a great conversation between him, Andrew Rosner, and myself. First, serious about online trading? Secure your funds, keep your merchandise safe, and use a company that keeps the buyer and seller protected the whole way through. That's escrow.com. Payments you can trust. Hey, Sherpa Network. I'm Tess Diaz, executive producer of DomainSherpa.com. And today we are delighted to have Jimmy Song here to discuss Bitcoin and domain names with Andrew Rosner. See where they intersect. Uh, Jimmy, you are um, such a big name in the crypto space, a Bitcoin educator, developer, and entrepreneur joining us from Austin, Texas. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a lot of fun. Delighted. Yeah, and Drew Rosner, um, CEO of MediaOptions.com, domain brokerage firm. Thank you as well for joining us today. Thank you, Jimmy. Thanks for coming on. Really glad to, uh, to have you here. I've been following your work for, uh, for some time. Thank you. Um, Jimmy, tell us, give us a, a quick overview of who you are. Um, in, I, I assume most of our listeners, you need no introduction, but just in case, uh, who, who are you and what have you been up to? If, uh, sorry, my internet connection says it's unstable. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, you froze for a second, but don't worry about it. Okay. It all get edited, so it doesn't. Okay, all right, all right. I so, thought maybe uh, you just didn't know who you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so I, I've been a programmer for the last 20 years. Uh, ever since I got a uh, out of college, I've been a, basically a startup veteran for most of my career. Um, up until about five years ago when I, just, when I started to go into Bitcoin full-time. Um, I've been a programmer in the Bitcoin space for uh, about the last five years. Um, during that time, I worked for various different companies. About uh, a couple of years ago, I started publishing a lot more articles. Um, I started teaching a class programming blockchain to developers that wanted to learn about Bitcoin. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a book, almost finished. Um, so, you know, trying, trying to do that as well. Um, I'm also a venture partner at Blockchain Capital. Um, I consult for various companies. I speak at conferences. So there's a lot of different thing, parts to what I am. And that's not even getting into, you know, my personal life or anything like that. That's just my professional. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a hard question to answer. Who, who is Jimmy Song? Hopefully... <laughs> Uh, I'm not easily summed up in a couple of sentences, but yeah, that's... that's I think you're a smart guy who wears a lot of hats. <laughs> you do that, yeah. <laughs> so um, we kind of wanted to kick it off, Jimmy, with um, something that Andrew has been um, looking at for a long time with, um, you know, given that currently for every chain transaction with any cryptocurrency... The data has to pass through the DNS system. Um, so we have some questions about how domains are foundational to cryptocurrency, uh, but also maybe a potential Achilles heel. Um, 
even for the most secure blockchains like Bitcoin. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And Drew, you jump in as you like. Um, I think this could be a very interesting um, conversation. Jimmy coming from the technical side so much. Hmm. Well, so the only DNS point, uh, single point of failure that I would say exists in Bitcoin right now is in the Bitcoin core client. Uh, when you first run the... Um, run the software, what it does is it goes to three known domain names that are run by core developers. So one of them is sipa.be, that's run by Peter Woolley. Um, another one is the bluemat.me, that's run by Matt Corallo. And then there's another one by Jonah Schnelli, which I can't remember his domain name. But um, those are what it queries to get some IP addresses in order to find other peers to connect to. Um, the Bitcoin software is a peer-to-peer -peer network software. So it needs other peers in order to download the blockchain uh, or to hear about new transactions, other blocks. Um, so that, that I would say, is probably the biggest um, sort of crossover with domain names is that it does depend on those domain names. And if you can man in the middle of that, it's possible that there might be a vulnerability. Uh, but for the most part, what, uh, what Bitcoin does is it works off of IP addresses or Tor addresses or, uh, you know, IP, both IPv4 and IPv6. You can go to something like earn, uh, bitnodes.earn.com and find a bunch of IP addresses of different nodes on the network, copy those into your configuration, and that way you don't have to bootstrap to these particular domain names. Uh, but, I mean, it, the, the thing about the networking protocol of Bitcoin is that it's not necessarily critical. Um, there is, for example, something like the Blockstream satellite, which lets you get all of the broadcast blocks via satellite. It doesn't even require the internet. It, uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's a satellite uh, channel that, that you can receive things at. Um, you can also broadcast transactions using something called radio. Um, using radio waves. <clears throat> I think Samurai Wallet did something like that where um, it'll broadcast to within like 20 miles and then if you have other broadcasting stations then they, they can broadcast as well. It so, acts like a mesh, like a mesh network. Yeah, it's, but, it's definitely a mesh still, network. But it basically acts like almost like a side chain, right? Because you don't, those transactions aren't actually being recorded on chain until they Make it into a block. It's not. It's not a side chain per se. It's uh. It's what you would call the mempool. Um. It's it's uh, uh, yeah. sort of like uh pre getting into a block. It only gets into a block once a miner finds a proof of work. Um. Mm -hmm. But until then, it sort of sits there until you know miner decides. Okay, the fees on this are enough for me to take it. I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's uh it, it, like. Other than, you know, the, the domain names that are uh, hard-coded into core um, uh, and other libraries use different um, domain mm -hmm. names to go and get, like, uh, new, new IP addresses. And those can be bootstrapped in different ways as well. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say there's that much. Um, although, you know, I, I run a couple nodes. I have programmingblockchain.com and I have a, a you know, a testnet Bitcoin node running on tbtc.programmingblockchain.com. I have a full Bitcoin node running on btc.programmingblockchain.com. And a lot of other, you know, companies utilize that as a way to, uh, you know, connect to sort of known things. Um, so there, there is something like that about uh, DNS that's very convenient. Uh, the thing about DNS that I think a lot of Bitcoiners are kind of hesitant about is that it's, 
um, at least for a long time, it was it was dominated by network solutions. It was it was a single entity. It's a centralized place where you have to do the registration. Well, and so, uh, yeah, and so, so no longer network solutions. I mean, they were they were sort of the client facing mm -hmm. operation, but the, mm -hmm. the centralized entity is ICANN, which is the yeah. sort of governing body of the internet. And they, 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 and they create new TLDs and all that stuff. Exactly. And, uh, and, uh, and basically, it's, uh, what, what's kind of scary about it, uh, at least from like a Bitcoin perspective, is that if you do have a domain name and the U.S. government wants to seize it, they can. And yes. uh, that's, that kind of sucks because that means that you are dependent on a third party to uh, give you rights to it. When you quote unquote own a domain, you don't really own a domain unless you're playing within the rules of ICANN uh, or, yeah. you know, whoever is doing it. Uh, yeah, it's really a, a lease. It's really a 10 year, uh -huh. you know, up to 10 year uh -huh. lease and one in 10 year uh -huh. lease that you can indefinitely renew as long as you play by the uh -huh. rules. Um, uh -huh. But, you know, to, to, so I think in theory, Mm -hmm. I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, everything you're saying is fact. Um, mm -hmm. But in reality, I mean, for Bitcoin to scale and to be adopted at scale by, you know, the, the average Joe, I, I feel like it does depend on the current DNS system. And, you know, ultimately, it can only ever be as decentralized as the Internet is. Um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, it depends on what other systems come, right? Like, it's, it's possible that we, we get some sort of like a radio mesh network um, of yeah. core relays or something like that. Yeah. And that becomes like a second dark internet or something. And, that, yeah. and people go on there. It's entirely possible. We, we have no idea what the future holds. Right Absolutely. now, uh, you know, the past 20 years or so, um, it's, it's very clear that the DNS system is what dominates you know, how people find things on the internet. And that's, um, you know, largely where, where, where your expertise is, is in, you know, uh, figuring out like, uh, you know, what, what good ways to market certain things are. I, um, and, you know, it, it's a large part of the discovery of certain things that, that domain names come into play. Um, there was a project a while back. I don't know. Have you heard of Namecoin? Namecoin? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, nobody so wanted well, so here, here's the thing about Namecoin. Um, it was actually one of the very first altcoins off of Bitcoin. And, yeah. uh, and the idea was you could have a decentralized DNS. And they, they actually had a .bit domain that they yeah. wanted to uh, have people register. They had this very clever system where um, you, would commit, you would pay for a quote-unquote domain um, and it, it's leased to you more or less by that blockchain, but it's done in such a way that you don't know the domain name until after you've paid for it and it's in the blockchain, then, then you can prove it so that no one can like sort of snipe you out of that domain name. So it was a very clever system. Unfortunately, like it never really got it. I, I could never really get it working, right? Like you can, yeah. you can try all these plugins to a browser and everything else, but none of the .bit domains like ever resolved to anything. Um, and the other thing was that the developers stopped working on it. So it, it yeah. never, like Namecoin's like a completely abandoned project at this point. So, so it's kind of it, sad. It comes, it comes back to my premise, right? Like, so so it, if I step back for one second, the whole reason I give this subject so much thought is because it's the only thing that keeps me up at night, right? Like I love domains. I think domain names are the bee's knees. I think, you know, 
Um, domain names are the foundational uh, infrastructure for the digital economy, which is the most important economy in the world. And, and I, you know, I repeat this over and over, and it's like, okay, so where, where are my, um, you know, threat vectors? And it's like, well, some new technology that basically replaces the current DNS system, um, mm-hmm. like Namecoin, okay? And ultimately, my argument for why that's not going to happen is the same as why you might argue that there's not going to be any altcoin that will replace Bitcoin. I, I'm mm-hmm. making some assumptions here. And it's, that it's like network effect, right? It's mm-hmm. so much infrastructure and so much mindshare has been built on domain names, specifically .com, mm-hmm. that it would be so difficult to upend that. And the same could be said for Bitcoin, or at least that's how I feel, is mm-hmm. that it's like, you know, you can make something. The barrier to entry is, is virtually zero. And so you can just like copy the Bitcoin blockchain and make some tweaks and then launch a new altcoin. Um, and now you're like Bitcoin Cash 2 or, Bitcoin, yeah, yeah. you know, Bitcoin. Lizard. There, there are 84 hard forks of Bitcoin. So there, <laughs> there's a lot of them, um, you know, including like obscure ones like Bitcoin pizza or whatever. There, there's a lot of them. Uh, and most of them aren't worth anything for that reason. And How I think I you bring up Bitcoin pizza. Yeah. You bring up a really good point though. There, there is uh, something called a shelling point. Um, and if, if you've studied sort of like behavioral economics or something, um, that, that's a concept. But basically the concept is um, you and I are in a city. We can't communicate to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do to meet up? You, you want to make sure that you guys are meeting up. Uh, what do you do? And, uh, and generally, if you're in New York City, what, what people end up doing is saying, okay, well, I'll go to Grand Central at noon because that's the most central place, the most obvious place, and noon is just like the most central time. Like that's, yeah. that's where you go. Um, and that's what Bitcoin is in many ways. That's what .com domain names are. People by default go to .com because everyone else goes to .com. So yeah. uh, in that way, you make that argument. And, uh, and I, I totally agree that it, right now that is the shelling point for domain names is um, you know, .com, you know, like if you're thinking, okay, if you hear of a company name, the first thing you do is, okay, you go, uh, you go to that company name.com and yeah. you know, hope you, hit it, or maybe you Google it or something like that. And if um, it's anything else, you better specify. Otherwise you're going to somebody, you know, your customer, your audience is going to go to .com. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this was what like blockchain.info did for a long time is they, yeah. they had to advertise the fact that they were .info. Um, yeah. I think they got the .com domain name, so they're they're now trying to say we're .com now, uh, but but that's uh, that's that's a whole. And now they're trying to sue uh, the .io. Yeah, which I thought yeah, was kind right, of right. That and uh, yeah, that well, that's another whole thing. But uh, <laughs> that's something but, we want to talk about. <laughs> okay, all right. But, but uh, let me finish my point yeah. on this this particular thing. The shelling point, uh, social coordination, has a big effect. But that said. Here's the thing, I can controls.com. So it's, it's entirely yeah. possible that at some point that uh, the rules get so restrictive that, uh, that people aren't able to utilize this stuff. Now, I'm not saying that it's anytime soon or whatever, yeah. but it's possible that that organization gets taken over and it make, makes it so difficult for people to go and get a domain name that a new shelling point might occur. And this has happened before, right? Like um, uh, for a long time on the dark net, 
the Silk Road was the shelling point. That's where people went because that's where the sellers were. That's where the buyers went. Kind of yep. like eBay. That's where sellers go. That's where buyers go. But uh, but once they shut down, there was a new shelling point, Alpha Bay. When they shut down, there's an al- another shelling point. This um, anything centralized has a tendency uh, to like. I, I think it's like. Buffett says, like, you want to invest in a company uh, in, that's so good that even an idiot will run it because eventually an idiot will. Um, and that, <laughs> that's, that's kind of the idea here is that with, with something decentralized, like there's nobody running it. But with something like I can't, it's, it's possible that an idiot will run it. They will make it super restrictive that dot com will no longer be the shelling point at some point. So you know, um, like it's been there for 20 years, so I expect it to last at, le- at least another 20. Uh, but, you know, eventually that may happen. So there, mm-hmm. there's a fragility to dot-com domains that I don't think Bitcoin necessarily has. So that's the distinction I wanted to make. I'd almost argue that there's mm-hmm. a, like, so if we say that the two options are it remains mm-hmm. centralized and because mm-hmm. of its centralization, it'll have a tendency to sort of erode or its network effects will erode, and, it, and therefore its importance as the, sh- the, the, the shelling point will erode. Um, mm-hmm. And then the flip side of that is that it, as this digital economy and, and all of the social uh, implications of that develop, um, ICANN becomes no longer necessary, and it moves to a decentralized infrastructure, um, which, you know, there's a lot of pressure Toward, not necessarily entirely decentralized, but a more mm-hmm. multi-stakeholder model, which increases decentralization. And mm-hmm. so I think, um, you know, I would argue there's probably a better chance of it moving toward decentralized model. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's like, you know, if we're going to decentralize any government organization, it seems like that's like the obvious one to start with because the mm-hmm. domain names and blockchains seemingly would play very nice together. Um, yeah, and it's it's really tough though, because like, who pays for what, and who collects it, and what do you do with the funds, and and like, it, these are all well, we have like that problem now. They have like they have like I, I don't want to just throw out numbers, but I believe it's like almost two hundred million dollars sitting in a bank account. They just had a multi stakeholder meeting to talk about what are we going to do with these funds, and what what are we able, what's our mandate? You know, they're sitting on two hundred million dollars, and it's like, what do we do with it? Yeah, and th- this is the problem, right? Like it, it's uh, in a centralized, uh, you know, entity. Well, okay, well, it goes to a centralized entity. At least you know where that is, and there's an obvious profit motive and everything else. Any decentralized system, it is extremely difficult to work out the incentives in such a way that it works for everybody. Because uh, mm-hmm. if you make it too cheap, what, what's going to happen? Everyone's going to register every domain name that they could think of, like for a penny or whatever. Um, if you make it too so, expensive. But- this you is make where it you and I disagree, and I really this is one of the reasons I wanted you on here because mm-hmm. I don't understand you on this point. So, um, you say if you make it too cheap, everybody's going to go out and register all these domains. So, mm-hmm. why, where's the problem? You are, by definition, if you are a Bitcoin mm-hmm. maximum, well, so here, here's whatever the, you want here. to find yourself as, mm-hmm. you must believe in free market capitalism. And so yeah, yeah, and that, that's fine. That's that's totally fine. It just becomes very unusable the more you have, right? Like if Why? you if you if you if you register two billion domain names because they're like 
um, you know, a fraction of a penny each, yeah. uh, then everything's going to be slower. Every DNS server needs to serve 2 billion records, right? Like that's not cheap. And updating all of that, you know, propagating all of that, who's paying for all that stuff? I like there, there the are problems scale. with scalability that, that you have to think about in any decentralized system. The minute you have, uh, you know, you have things that are that cheap. And like making sure that all of the incentives are aligned and stuff like that is not easy. And uh, and you know, at, at, like if you if you are able to register domains for a fraction of a penny, uh, you know that that you know uh, adds like all sorts of like civil attacks or whatever. Um, yeah, exactly, and, exactly. And, and they so should never have, be that cheap. Yeah, so cost, you have to be careful about like today. design. What's that? The approximate cost today, .de, the, the, the German domain extension, is probably the most efficiently run, I would say. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm speculating, but that's probably not that far from, you know, inaccurate. And mm -hmm. um, the cost to operate um, a, a large-scale domain extension, a registry, it, mm -hmm. you know, comes out to somewhere around 3 to $4 a, a domain. Mm -hmm. We just discussed this, actually, with the, the Internet Commerce Association, who we had on as a guest mm -hmm. last week. That, that still seems very high to me for an entry into a database, but yeah. Well, it's because of the problems that you were just talking about, right? So, mm -hmm. yes, I mean, it's essentially an entry into a database and then an API mm -hmm. call, but, you know, ultimately there are decisions that need to be made, and so that mm -hmm. requires input and, and then mm -hmm. subsequent output. And... Um, you know, there's there's infrastructure and there's um, you know mm -hmm. lawsuits and <laughs> like, there's things <laughs> things that need to be done and paid for. Yeah, and so well, um, that's a really good argument for why Bitcoin transactions are much uh, like they're they're cheaper. cheap, but like you you centralize it like you kind of do with ICANN, and it turns out that you still. For a single database entry into an ICANN database, the most efficient is still three or four dollars. That's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, but why? Uh, so, let's forget about the fraction of a penny domain registrations for a second, right? Because I think that's unrealistic. But mm -hmm. even a totally decentralized thing where you eliminate all the necessary people and 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 mm -hmm. the, you know bureaucracy. Um, you know, basically we work out a price that, that works so you don't have everybody spamming the mm -hmm. shit out of the world and, and mm -hmm. you've got this, you know, fair price. And mm -hmm. um, everybody goes out and they register all the domains, kind of like what they've already done over the last 20 mm -hmm. years. And um, where's where's the issue, right? Like, so we've got, there's no, there's no way. No, that, that, that's perfectly but, fine. I, th I think, uh, well, the, the thing about domain names that's very different than Bitcoin is that it's not fungible. You can't trade like, you know, business.com for your stupid domain.com, right? Like it, it, they're not, they're not fungible. So they're, they're all very unique. And that, that's funny that though. Very, yeah. Yeah. It's well, funny. So, so for the most part, you're right. Uh -huh. There's a really interesting trend which started in China about three years ago, 2014, mm -hmm. I'd say it started four years ago. And um, they tried to, uh, and I should try because there's been massive, mm -hmm. uh, if you think that Bitcoin's volatile, this shit was crazy. Um, uh -huh. And they, they basically took all six number dot com um, uh, uh, strings and seven number dot com strings and five number dot com strings 
four, four, let, four numbers and three numbers and two numbers, those were all gone and they were highly valuable mm -hmm. already. But they've taken all the six numbers that started there and it, it moved out to the sevens and they commoditize them. And so, you know, you, you say like, what do you do with a six number.com? Six, seven, nine, two, four, mm -hmm. whatever. Forget the fours and the zeros because they were not appreciated in China. And um, everything else became a commodity and they were being traded not unlike the way Bitcoin is. And it, because it was scarce, uh, mm -hmm. it, it was interesting how quickly we saw the market just go up. And it went from, you had the registration fee, you know, and, and within like a two-week period, almost all of them got registered. There was this trend. It was this like spur of the moment, like like Satoshi, you know, launched Bitcoin. And then it was all of a sudden, all, you know, it started growing. And mm -hmm. within like two weeks, I, I don't even know what that number is. It's, it's um, if you've got... Uh, 10 possible digits and actually make it eight because the zero and the fours were essentially left out. And you take that out to the six power. I don't know how many, but it's a big number. That's mm -hmm. how many got registered in like 14 days. And mm -hmm. um, the prices went from, okay, as soon as the last one got registered, you had a, a, a registration fee of call it 850. And then it was like within a week, it was, $25, then it was 50 bucks, then it was 75 bucks, then it was 100 bucks. And it went all the way up till it, it kind of peaked at around three, $350. You had some outliers that went up over $1,000. Um, and then it just came crashing down. And then it went to basically, you couldn't give them away. And uh -huh. then it went back up to like $20, $25, and back down to zero. And then it went mm -hmm. back up to around $70. And, and so there's a, and now the market is doing this, like, like where people won't pay you the registration fee. So you'd sell at a loss mm -hmm. and then the market will go right, you know, just above that. So after October, because the, the, this all happened in October, 2014 or 15. And so mm -hmm. that's when renewals happen. So after these things get renewed, now people want their money back. So then the, the, suddenly the market starts developing again. And it's, it's a very interesting thing to watch. <laughs> Not unlike yeah. um, uh, many altcoins and, 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 and you know, early days of Bitcoin. Yeah, it, it, is, it is interesting. And I, I, I think I need to get more details from you because I think I can, uh, I can make a talk around this. Uh, but that, the big thing about ICANN is that it's centralized, right? Like, yes. And so only certain people can register. Uh, it's an, um, I, I actually wonder, like there, there's a transfer fee, right? So mm -hmm. like it's... Not, it's not so easy to to uh, sell it to another person without uh, you know um, some sort of fee. So it actually ends up being a terrible currency because every time you transact, you have to like pay um, you know uh, you know some amount of money. Well, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars. But yeah, I mean, know, I, like it might be a decent store of value if it if it if it actually held its value. But uh, as a transactional thing, it might not be that great. Um, and also totally. you have, and they're, they're all like kind of equal. There's no like one that's like 10 times as much and known to be 10 times as much. It's, uh, you know, like it's just, you know, there, there's just this one kind of bill. So it's not, it's not as, um, divisible, that, so, um, so which that's not harder. true. Though. So this is what's so interesting is uh -huh. that there are, there's like, so, so seven number.coms being the lowest value, which are basically uh -huh. today zero. Uh -huh. Sixnumber.coms, you know, having this sort of baseline that's uh -huh. sort of stabilized, but very, very low. 
five number coms being anything from like five hundred dollars to um, mm -hmm. you know without getting into the really unique ones that are like repeating um, uh -huh. or very lucky numbers in China, then you know um, those are you know can be several thousand dollars. Four number coms being twenty thousand to several hundred thousand. Three number coms being several hundred thousand to several million. And then two number coms being millions, millions of dollars. Um, yeah. So, but like, there, there's no real like reason why one is. I mean, like, like you said, there are certain repeating ones that are worth more than others. Uh, that that makes it very difficult because it's not really fungible. The divisibility isn't quite there. No if you, yeah, not yet. You want to pay something in between, like a hundred. Say, say five letter ones are a hundred, and six letter ones are ten. Um, then like something in between, like you have to transfer five of them, but then that costs you five different transactions. Yeah. So it, it ends up being a terrible currency for that reason. But it's, it's an interesting um, study in how, how those things kind of evolve. Uh, and, you know, like this is why domain names aren't used as currency right now. Uh, yeah, for, yeah, absolutely. For Nor should they ever be. Nor should mm -hmm. they ever be. But I, I, I do think that it's an interesting study. And I do think that this whole anomaly that, that popped up in that market was really, I mean, I, I, I think you're probably much better studied in, in, you know, market economics than I am, but I am very intrigued and I, you know, read a fair amount and I have never seen anything like what happened there over the course of a, you know, that period of time. It was really, really, really interesting to understand the, uh, the, um, you know, the drivers there. Um, anyways, so, <laughs> Sorry, we've been, we've been talking on this one question. I think Tess has more, so uh, I'll, I'll it's it's okay. It My next question was I think already answered. You know, um, uh, Jimmy, I um, read a lot of what you've written. I really uh, respect how much you've said um, and shared with the community. Um, I know that's the um, you know the way that crypto really works is in being so open. Um, and I, I, I was gonna ask you about this quote of yours, credible long-term scarcity is why people buy Bitcoin. In other words, mm -hmm. people want Bitcoins because they see it as a good store of value. And so mm -hmm. I think we already really hit that. Um, mm -hmm. Besides, if we wanna talk about, you know, um, larger value domains, I mean, Drew here mm -hmm. um, at Media Options primarily sells um, you know, six, seven figure domains, um, you know, maybe two letter, I think media options has bought, sold or, um, brokered more two letter dot coms than anyone in the world, for example. Right. Um, so mm -hmm. does it make a difference for a store in discussing store of value and the transactional cost? Mm -hmm. Um, does it make a difference when we're talking about a six or seven fig figure asset versus these, you know, kind of random strings, which I know are really interesting, but aren't as um, applicable in the real world. Hmm. Well, well I, I mean, ability, like, <laughs> like you said. Okay. So yeah, and, and the thing about domain names is, uh, you know, somebody has to want to buy it, right? On the other side. Now, if enough people want to buy it, then it becomes this thing where, um, you know, then you can get sort of like a bidding war going and. So other people want to go get it because they, they know they can sell it to these other people that really want it. So it, it's this weird network effect that has to happen on a per domain basis. Uh, with 
Bitcoin, it's because it's completely fungible, what you have is, well, not completely fungible, but it, relatively yeah. Uh, what what you have is the ability, like if enough people want Bitcoin, you get you get that network effect of scarcity around Bitcoin itself instead of a particular domain name. So right now, if I if I have a domain that's uh, I don't know dog.com or something like that, I'm sure that's a very very valuable one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know that lots of other people want dog.com because there's pet food suppliers, there are probably breeders, there are like. Lots of, uh, I, I don't know, it, it, it might even be like a bad ex-boyfriend site or something, right? Like there's a lot of use cases for dog.com in such a way that I might be willing to say, you know what? It's, uh, you know, somebody's selling it for a million and a half right now. I'll buy it for a million and a half. And then, you know, in five years, it might be a pretty good investment because all those people that I think will want it still will want it by, by then. And they'll be able to pay more of a premium by then because the economy will, around that stuff will have grown. So I, that's the idea behind store value. Here's the thing about centralized stores of value, though. Um, they tend to be a little bit fragile. So you know, for example, that uh, New York taxi cab medallions were very, very valuable. Um, and they went all the way up to like $2 million on auction, in large part because they were very scarce. Um, then what happened? Well, Uber came along and uh, yeah. they dropped in price like a rock. Uh, so a lot of uh, like th this is what you have to contend with. You, you are somewhat dependent, not just on the central authority, but the disrupting technology around it. It is possible, although I can't think of one right now, that the DNS system might be overtaken by something that is an order of magnitude better. I can't think of anything like that. Don't get mm -hmm. don't. don't don't make, uh, don't make me out to be some person that's like crapping on domain names or something like that. No, I, I, this is why I want you here. This is, this uh -huh. is, you know, I want that counter argument. I want, you know, I look forward to the day uh, that, that somebody tells me like, oh, hey, here's your blind spot. This is what's coming and your domains are going to be rendered worthless because at least yeah. then I can stop thinking about it and take you know, <laughs> actions. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's possible something on the order of magnitude better comes along and then replaces it, right? Um, and same, you could say the same thing about eBay, nothing has, but it's possible. Um, and you know, some, something might happen to domain names as well. There, there are all these like shelling points in society that are centrally controlled that it might get to the point where those things get disrupted by something that's much, much better. Um, now it hasn't happened to eBay, but it has happened to you know New York taxi cab medallions. Um, you know there there were uh, there were other things that were mu much more valuable, like say ten years ago, but has since changed. So you have to think about all of that stuff when you're when you're investing in sort of long term stores of value. The nice thing about Bitcoin is that it's it's continuously improving. And there's a shelling point, and it's decentralized. So uh, unlike eBay, which if you if you get like a bad CEO, it's entirely possible that that company just crashes down because an idiot yeah. is running that. Company. Mm -hmm. um, with ICANN, it's possible that you know like some bureaucrat gets in there that gets a lot of power, and they decide to you know do really stupid things or have really stupid restrictions on renewals or like whatever and say, uh, you know what, all of these are invalid as of next October, something like that. Like It'll open it up crashing. to 2,000 new domain extensions, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's all sorts of idiocy that can happen that could ruin whatever network effect is already there. Yeah. Um, 
but you know that that that's that's a centralized thing. Uh, the the more I think uh, uh, more dangerous thing is external, right? Like uh, mm -hmm. there there are constantly entrepreneurs trying to think up new things, yeah. uh, and they might come up with something better, and it's it's entirely possible. So those are yeah. Yeah. But the same could be said for Bitcoin, of course. And uh, to some degree. Um, I, I would say, though, that it's uh, because of the um, because it's money, not necessarily like a technological improvement. So, I mean, I, I think in this way, domains have that uh, have a similar dynamic going for it. It's not it's not necessarily that it's you get a better. Right. Like um, like. I think .co is faster to type than .com, but totally. people don't go to .co because exactly. the shelling point is at .com, right? Like there's, there, uh, it's, it's one letter shorter and it's like got the same letters, but it doesn't matter because I, there's I a agree. shelling point, there's a, there, there's a social coordination that's already happened around .com. Yep. We go back that, to 1985 and you're like, hey, you can have any domain you want and any domain extension. I'm going to take .co over .com every single time. But mm -hmm. today, you know, mm -hmm. I, I couldn't give them to me for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you could have a .c domain. I don't think people will go to that, right? Like, yeah. I think people go to .com instead. And, and this is the thing about uh, social coordination um, is that it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a network effect. And, mm -hmm. and that, that's very, very strong. And it's uh, like it takes a very long time to overcome that sort of yeah. thing. And your exactly. tech has to be at least an order of magnitude better. I can't think of an order of magnitude better. No, how do you do that? Right? Have right now with DNS. So it's, exactly. uh, I mean, that said, it's possible. And there, I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, this the sort of thing that you should be thinking very hard about is, yeah. how can I make something that's an order of magnitude better than the DNS system that we have right now? And if I can create that, I will be a gajillionaire, right? Google's like, been trying for so long. <laughs> Google would yeah. love to replace the DNS system. Yeah, and, but it's and hard. There, there, but I mean, you can't just be 10% better. That's not, uh, yeah. .co is 33% better, right? Like than yeah. .com, but it doesn't matter, right? Like yeah. you have to be an order of magnitude better. And that's, yeah. that's very, very difficult. So switching gears, um, <laughs> and sorry, Tess, uh, but like, this is a perfect inflection point for um, for doc uh, for for Bitcoin and 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 some of these things that are happening. You know, uh, Bitcoin Cash. You know, mm -hmm. you I I, I actually uh, I like Roger Ver. I think um, he, he's an interesting guy. He's a, he's a very intelligent guy, and he's a very good uh, marketer. And I I like people who can sell, and so I, I listen to him. Um, and he makes excellent arguments, but at the end of the day, there's, I find fault in, in, you know, basically, uh, most of these things for the reasons that we've just discussed with .com versus .co. Um, you know, it's, it's almost identical. It's like, you know, yeah, .co, it's faster than .com, you know, it's cheaper than .com, you know, you can... And, and Bitcoin Cash, it's like, you know, say it's faster, it's, you know, it's this, it's that, the other thing, but it doesn't have that immaculate conception that Bitcoin does. Um, why, you know, I, I asked this same question um, to Charlie Shrem, who, who we, we interviewed here as well. Um, why is 
Bitcoin so unique? Why, like, you have thousands of new altcoins being produced. And mm -hmm. all of them have really interesting, not all of them, but let's say a percentage of them have really interesting um, use cases or, or um, you know, new features. And everybody says, Bob, this is better than Bitcoin. And it's like, but, you know, coming back to what I said earlier, it's the barrier to adding that to Bitcoin, relatively speaking, is, is like zero, right? It's like uh, Jimmy goes and takes this feature off of this altcoin and reprograms it. You know, there's a consensus, consensus mechanism. Everybody agrees and it gets added to Bitcoin. Now, obviously, the reality of that consensus is a, a, a much more difficult thing. But in theory, if you had a feature which has been flushed out and it's been, you know, proven with time and, and trials and tribulations, it can be simply added to Bitcoin. Um, in my mind, my uninformed, uneducated mind. And so that's why I've never subscribed to any of these altcoins or, or Bitcoin Cash, for example, being probably, you know, the, or Ethereum, one of those two being the closest thing to having even close to a, 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 the network effect, although it's not really close. Why is Bitcoin so unique? What makes it so unique that in my mind, it, it can't be replaced? Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head already. Uh, but basically, it, this is not a technological play. A lot of people especially Silicon Valley investors think, oh, okay, well, you know, if this is a better mousetrap, then, you know, it's going to win. That's not what it is. It's a social coordination problem. And, uh, and people, like the shelling point is Bitcoin. And that's, that's where people go first. And you can try to create other shelling points. And that's what a lot of altcoins like spent all their money on is marketing and getting people to know about it. Um, and this is, I'm, I'm sure this is true of like domain TLDs, right? Like totally. um, you know, they market the hell out of their TLD to try to get people to do it. And, uh, and those two are a lot more similar than, than, you know, this is a better mousetrap kind of uh, mentality that a lot of, a lot of uh, tech people that are looking at it from a purely technological perspective are, are doing. Money is very much a social coordination problem and bitcoin mm -hmm. is money that's that's what it is and uh and a lot is of people are well what's that is it money yeah absolutely um yeah it's money uh, i mean that's that's what it was designed for uh it's a it's a it's it, it, the ideal properties of money are fungibility securability um divisibility recognizability all, all of those things are very obvious with uh with bitcoin um, and you know, stability have have in uh, in my in one of my talks, but I mean, the, this is the this is the point, though, right? Like it, it, it's about social coordination, and a yeah. lot of people are mistakenly thinking that it's about the technology. I mean, there's there's a there's definitely a technological component to it, um, but it's not the dominant thing. The dominant mm -hmm. thing are the monetary properties, um, kind of like with domains. It's, it's, it's not about like the entry in the DNS database that points to a particular IP and making that better or something like that. Like I can make a new domain name, uh, you know, domain TLD that runs faster, that gets queries faster, whatever. It's probably not going to matter, right? Like it's, yeah. it's not about that at all. It's, it's about not about that at all. Yep. It's about, and it's uh, it's that level of um, you know disconnect in uh, in a lot of people like making these arguments about okay, well we have you know thirty two megabyte block, therefore we're better. 
no, no, you're not. You're not better. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, like it's, it's like they're, they're using like a very small fraction of that, by the way, uh, Bitcoin Cash is. So, yeah. you know, stuff like that is just uh, is kind of ridiculous to me. So I feel like, Jimmy, as you're saying social coordination, and I, I understand what you mean by that, um, and Drew, that makes me think of you um, often say, we need to make the pie bigger. Um, I think that both of you are in um, these new emerging um, spaces where a lot of potential investors don't understand the value or um, or how to utilize the I don't know if you can call it a commodity or um, the asset right um, so I just I think it's interesting Jimmy that you primarily well I don't know if, if you would say primarily but um, that I think your biggest project right now is programming blockchain and being an educator educating in others and how to program that um, what's, mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, what's your underlying value there? Is that um, for social coordination? Is that your goal? Well, I mean, my goal is to bring some money to the world because right now we have fiat money that, it, that gets depreciated every day. Uh, you know, every time they raise the debt ceiling or, you know, sell more treasuries uh, that get bought back by the central bank, you're, you're essentially printing money and it, it dilutes every dollar that you have right? Like yeah. anything that you have in your bank account, it's, uh, it gets diluted at will by the will of the U.S. government. Um, and every yen that you have gets diluted by the Central Bank of Japan, right? Like they're, they're, that's not sound money. It's, very, it's easy money. It's money that gets printed. It's, uh, it's basically a bunch of people that are stealing money from you through inflation. Um, and I, I think that's horrible for society and I want sound money to exist and that Bitcoin is sound money. It's hard money. It's, it's, it's the hardest money that we've ever had. And that in so, itself is a very good thing. But as far as like my, my um, training new developers, I'm doing that because I want Bitcoin to succeed. And in order to succeed, the biggest risk is that we don't have enough developers. And um, there was a point in time where I was like, okay, I can, I can probably, uh, you know, contribute to Bitcoin Core and do like 50 commits a year. And that would be very productive as a core dev. Um, but then I realized like, uh, you know, I, I do have, uh, you know, some skills in teaching. I, if I utilize that instead, and I, I've trained something, somewhere north of 400 people so far in, in the last year and two months or uh, last 14 months or something like that. I can, I can come out ahead if only like one out of eight of them like do a commit a year, right? Like so for me, it's a way to scale myself and it's a way to scale that knowledge and to uh, get that out there so people can um, really contribute and care about this stuff as much as I do. and. Um, and, and get to the point where we really can have sound money um, that, that's, uh, you know, separated from the state where we can limit like the evils of the state. Uh, I mean, like every war has been funded by deficit spending. Every entitlement has been funded by deficit spending. Every corporate welfare program has been funded by deficit spending. If you take away a lot of that stuff, it becomes a much more fair and just world where, you know, people are not oppressing each other. So that's my ultimate goal. I want, I want sound money to exist. And I've said this before, um, you know, scarce money causes an abundance mentality. 
abundant money causes a scarcity mentality. And right now, I think most of civilization is in a scarcity mentality where they're trying to figure out how to get their piece of the pie. Um, when you have scarce money, when you have hard money, when you have something like Bitcoin, what ends up happening is that people build instead and they they contribute to civilization contribute to society that's how rome was built that's how you know the u.s went from a backwater british colony to a world superpower in a hundred years so um i believe bitcoin is the path to get there and that's where i want uh want civilization to be that's why i do that i'd love to go down that rabbit hole further <laughs> I could talk about it for hours because it's so intriguing to me. Um, but I won't, uh, I will spare you that. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm ahead, wondering, Kathy. Jimmy, like, you know, I, we talked to Charlie, um, talking to you, both of you have degrees in mathematics, which have very <laughs> little to do with changing the world. Um, and yet both of you seem so contraire. Oh, well, <laughs> that is, uh, is the underlying everything of the world. That, that's what I'm starting to realize here. Um, but, and yet I'm also thinking you didn't learn this in college, right? Um, no, no, where, I didn't. <laughs> where, I, I mean, the concepts that I'm hearing about, um, society, economies, um, like what, where, how did you get this, this education? I take it it's self-education. I imagine that the conversations between the top level, um, crypto minds like yourself are about these types of things and sharing, you know, I hear theories that I've never heard of before. Um, where do you guys just read books and talk to each other? Where do you recommend someone who really wants to understand more than just like, how can I invest in Bitcoin and go from 26 cents to a millionaire? Um, where do you, st where do you start? What are your like top three resources that you'd recommend? Well, well, so, uh, you know, what you said is exactly correct. Like a lot of people get into Bitcoin because they think they're going to get rich, right? Um, and they're like, okay, well, you know, I, I'll buy it for a small amount and then I get rich and then whatever. And then they get, they start digging down that rabbit hole. And oh my goodness, are there a lot of rabbit holes to go down. Uh, like there, there's a, you know, you start learning about nutrition, you start learning about civilization, how politics works, how like money works um, and how fiat money works in particular, how, you know, government and big business are like completely in bed with each other um, to like basically sell you on a lot of stuff to get you to consume lots of stuff. Um, you know, there are a lot of rabbit holes to go down. And if you look for and them, they're there. I'll tell you how I got into it. I got into it after 2008, after all of the stuff that happened around then. And I was like, wait, did, did they say $700 billion? Where, where, did, where did that come from? Right? Like they didn't have a special tax or anything. Where did, where did that money come from? And, uh, and like just asking some basic questions like that, right? Like, where did $700 billion come from to bail out these banks, right? And you're like, talking about the bailout money, the money that did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like $700 billion, dollars, right? I, I, out of business. Yeah, I, I mean, I was living in Boston at the time, and I still remember, like, um, 
you know, in the years before 2008, we had like this big dig, right? And this was a oh, major I know all inf- about the big dig. Yeah, yeah. A huge <laughs> infrastructure project. It was supposed to be a couple billion dollars. It ended up being 20 billion. And I remember yeah. thinking, like, when, and when like a decade you know, longer than talk about it, like, $20 billion, and you can thank the feds for providing us with that fund. It's like, oh, man, what a waste of taxpayer resources. And then 2008 came, and we're, we're like, completely, like, like desensitized to $20 billion yeah. because $700 billion, where the hell did that money go? So, uh, uh, you know, like, just reading on that and then, like, trying to figure out what happened. How, where did that money come from? led me down a rabbit hole where I got into a lot more like libertarianism, right? Like, and this is where you read a lot about you know, Austrian economics, um, you know, Mises, um, you know, That's, Mises.org is very good. Yeah. Uh, org. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, you read about all this stuff and you're like, Wait, that's how money works? I had no idea. 30 years of my life, I had no idea that they just print money whenever they feel like it, right? Like, it's, it's just like, and they, they've obscured it under like multiple layers of stuff, right? The treasury like prints money for the central bank and, you know, they lend money back and buy back treasuries. And then there's like all of these other central banks that are using US dollars as reserves and, it, it, it like they make it as obfuscated as possible so you have no idea that they're just taking money from you and and that's all it really comes down to they fund it through inflation and it's uh, I, oh gosh it's uh, so like just to, learning so about that makes me so angry flush out that point and i agree with you 100 <laughs> percent. It's, it's it's absurd but i think uh-huh. unfortunately most people um and it's not even their fault it's it's we don't the world the 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 the, the Society doesn't provide for these these types of education. No, our education system so, purposefully makes sure you don't understand exactly, it. Exactly on purpose. So, but I think people don't understand just the very simple concept of like what does that mean? So, the government prints money by printing money; they're robbing money from you. People go, "Well, my savings account says I have thirty thousand dollars in it, and after the government printed seven hundred billion dollars, it still said I." had $30,000 uh-huh. assuming you didn't lose it. You know, and, and so what do you mean they stole money from me? Right. And so, mo- but, but most people that's, they, they believe they don't understand. And so they, say, yeah, and, and they can't do basic math. They're only paying attention to the numerator and not the denominator. It's, it's so, <laughs> it's so stupid, right? It's like, uh, it's, it's like a startup difficult. giving you like, te- you get 10,000 shares. Well, how many shares are there? We don't really yeah. actually know. Right. Like it's like, yeah. Okay, if there's a it, there's a big difference between having ten thousand shares of a company with, you know, like a hundred thousand shares and a billion shares. There's a giant difference. Yeah, and that, that denominator actually matters. And a lot of people exactly. ignore the denominator and only look at the numerator. And this is one of the ways in which they desensitized you to everything. Is, so, but that's know. what I wanted to flush out is what is the denominator here, right? So the $30,000 in your bank account is the numerator and the denominator is how much total money supply is there. And so if you've got, let's just use simple numbers here. If you've got $1 trillion, uh, uh-huh. as if that's a simple number, uh, but you've got $1 trillion as a denominator, as the total money supply and uh-huh. you own $30,000 of that denominator. Uh-huh. 
And so your $30,000 over $1 trillion, you represent 0.00000, a whole lot of zeros, three uh-huh. of the total money supply. Now, suddenly, world goes to hell in a handbasket. Government says, we're going to print another trillion dollars. Not that far off from the 700 million they, billion they actually <laughs> printed. So now you've got $30,000 over $2 trillion. So you uh-huh. used to have 0.00000003 of the total money supply. That was like, you know, it's like if you own, you know, a thousand shares of Apple, you know, you're like uh-huh. 0.00000000 whatever. Okay. So now you're, you used to be 0.000 whatever three. Now you're 0.000015, right? Yeah, because you got money. cut in half. You, there used to be a, a, a trillion dollar supply. Now there's a $2 trillion supply. You've still only got 30,000. So you've only got basically half the value of the total supply that you used to have. And people don't mm-hmm. get that concept. Now, to take it out one step further, um, when they print a, bill, a trillion dollars, it doesn't matter. It doesn't like immaculately just get flushed out through the world no. economy. No, so it, it goes into not. pockets and that's what creates bubbles. Okay. Uh-huh. And so like the way they're stealing money from you is not, it, it's not as easy just to say, well, they printed a trillion dollars and like it went to the banks and now like, you know, your money's worth less and it is, but probably only worth like a little bit less. Even if they doubled the money supply, your money's still only worth like probably a little bit less. Most of that money went to the banks. And so it went into like, like the CEO of that bank got super, super rich. Even if he got fired, he got some, you know, $50 million, $100 million bonus, Mm -hmm. golden parachute out the door. Boom. Okay. So some of that money supply went to him. He went to Florida. He bought a house. He bought a boat, kind of drove up the market for those products along with all the other bankers. Okay. Then the bank sat on that money. And they, they, they didn't want to lend it because they were scared. Well, well, no, no, they lend it to big businesses at almost exactly. a zero percent interest rate. So the big businesses get the benefit. And this is something in economics called the Cantillion effect, which is that the early spenders of newly printed money get all of the benefit, right? Exactly. So if you're the sucker at the back end, right? Like, uh, you know, like some, some uh, guy that's like just the normal guy that gets paid, uh, or, or whatever, you're not, your salary is so like not every single up. person. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> every single person except the elite, right? Big government, yeah. big business, uh, you know, bankers, they're the ones that benefit, right? And th- this, this causes a wealth disparity for every dollar that gets printed. Yes. Is that the rich get richer because they have early access to that newly printed money. Exactly. Right? All of us that are like normal people, no, they, they're clearly. Basically, those people are stealing from us. That's yes. it's a wealth distribution scheme. They just don't talk about it that way. And so and this so- is the thing. The only way to fight uh, in the current system, the way that it works, the only way to like keep up because you're swimming upstream, you're swimming against the current. There's this, there's this current of money flowing into society in the form of that $700 billion bailout package. And so it's getting distributed slowly through the economy, starting at the top and then gradually works its way down, but it has much less power by the time it gets down to the bottom. And so you're swimming against that current of new money. And the only way to keep up is to participate. So that means borrow money to buy productive assets to like, and if you're not doing that, then you are falling behind. 
there's no question about it, right? So you can't, there's no argument, there's no discussion about it. It's like all this new money came into the system, your money is now worth less, and if you're not using that new money in order to buy important assets or business. Well, this is what store of value exactly is, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, right. You want so a that, store of value against this uh, tide of inflation that's coming. Uh, and and, well, and the thing I is like- explain that to people. Nobody, you know, it doesn't click, right? Like I try to explain to my parents and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I mean, I, like, I, I, like okay. the, the easiest way for me to explain it is like, if you go shop at Costco, right? Mm -hmm. I've been shopping at Costco for 20 years or whatever. Um, you know, just think about like even 10 years ago, right? I, I used to buy milk at Costco. It was like, um, you know, $1.95. Right now, what is it at Costco? It's like $3.95. What happened there? What happened? Yeah. Why is milk like double the price in 10 years? The, the government tells me the indicator is like, you know, one or two percent every year if you compound that over 10 years it should only be like 15 percent instead yeah. it's more like 100 percent. so what the hell happened and if you actually look um in terms of money supply they print an additional six or seven percent of the money supply every single year and that's a closer approximation of the actual inflation and if you compound that over 10 years that gets much closer to the 100%. doubling Consumer prices that you've seen and and this is for ev almost everything at Costco salmon used to be like 17 frozen salmon used to be like you know $17.99 a pound or something like that now it's like $35 a pound it's like what the hell happened uh, so but where does that where, where does it actually God. come from right it comes from yeah. servicing debt the cost yeah. the cost of creating that inflation the way that it's these prices slowly step up is because mm -hmm. Companies have to service debt in order to maintain growth and mm -hmm. more debt, you know, more expensive debt. So, um, so Jimmy, what, what's your favorite one or two um, places that you go, book, website, other, Twitter, um, for um, economics? Economics. Okay. So I, I would say go read uh, Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson. That's a very good book, very simple um, and uh, sort of explains it to you in very, uh, you know, layman's terms, everything that's going on. Um, okay. There's another book that I really like, which I think makes the moral case for against easy money and for hard money, uh, which I also really like. You can download this for free on Mises.org, but it's called The Ethics of Money Production. Um, and it's, it's a fairly extensive book. And, um, you know, uh, being a Christian and everything, that, that for me, what, like, laid out the case very, very clearly why you should not have fiat money. Um, and, you know, like what, what like people a thousand years ago did to make sure that it wasn't easy money um, and, and like uh, the gold standard and everything else. Uh, so those two are fantastic books. Um, there, there are other books um, uh, that come from a more Austrian perspective that I think are really good. I, I would say go to Mises.org if you're interested in any particular topic and do a search. They have tons of free okay. books that you can download for your Kindle and just read, right? Like, it's, it's great. Um, Thanks, so, Jimmy. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. fragility a few times. And right before mm -hmm. we started recording, you mentioned uh, a, a book you, you like on that. Was that mm -hmm. Anti-Fragile by Nassim Nicholas? Nassib Taleb, yeah, um, I, I like that book. Uh, if you want to read specifically on Bitcoin, there's a really good book uh, by Safety Namas, uh, The Bitcoin Standard, um, that, mm -hmm. that I really like. And uh, he goes through 
a lot of the economics of Bitcoin as well. And, and you know, like uh, it's, it's a very entertaining read because he, he knows his history of economics. So he goes through like different monetary mediums that we used to have, right? Um, you know, like glass beads in Africa, uh, wampums in uh, North America, and like rye stones in, uh, I forget, some Polynesian island or something like that. And like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, why, why they were effective for a time. And then as soon as certain people came in and that could produce it at like really easily, then it instantly changes those economies like very, yeah. very quick. Um, so very, very good book. And he talks about how like, uh, you know, if you, if you like whenever you have two monies and one, one money is harder than the other, the hard money will always win. And, uh, and this, you know, yeah, yeah, the, the bad money. And, uh, and this is what, what I expect to happen with a lot of this stuff as well. So, um, yeah, the, that those are good books to read. Yeah. yeah. Tying, so tying this back, um, taking that point of the, the good money will push out the bad money. And tying that back to uh, domain names, since we're, and believe me, I, I would love to go on the economics rant for the next two and a half hours and educate people about money because I think it's probably way more valuable uh, for them than, than talking about domain names. But we are on Domain Sherpa. And I want to appease my audience who gets sometimes upset when we are talking about other subjects too much. Yeah, well, so, and there's, there's a lot of places you can go and listen to Jimmy or hear about Bitcoin, but there are not a lot of places where you can tie it in with domain names. And they do have so much in common. I think it's really, you know, valuable to hit that. Well, it's a good store of value. That's the, that's the key thing that I think I'm yeah. getting out of this conversation is that domain names... As long as that central party doesn't act crazy, it's actually a pretty good start, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. And, uh, and this is the thing that people look for in a fiat economy is that because their dollars are constantly depreciating, you need something to store value in. Now, the thing about like almost any asset other than you know, the dollar is that they tend to fluctuate in price. And I'm sure you've seen this throughout. Totally. Right? Like, uh, but over a long enough period of time, as long as there's real scarcity, it tends mm -hmm. to go up. Um, and this is of true of Bitcoin. This is true of uh, domain names. This is true of real estate, right? They say, you know, like <laughs> invest in real, like they're not making any more land. So you're, yeah. you're, you're like, there's a scarce supply. So uh, there, there's the only, only variable is time. Like, like uh -huh. you know, supply mm -hmm. is fixed. You know, mm -hmm. demand we know is increasing as long as the population is increasing. And, right. more and, and more as long as this remains a shelling point for, for internet, yep. uh, the, the, this has very good potential. Now, like this is what, one of the things that really annoys me about fiat money is that people have to find other stores of value and asset uh, that, that tends to cause some, some degree of Bubbles. asset inflation, like with stocks or whatever. Um, you know, uh, like because people can't keep it in dollars, they have to invest, right? Like, before, like, uh, the Fed came along in, like, 1915, they're, like, investment professionals, right, people that help you diversify your investments, like, that didn't really exist that no. much. I mean, there were some people that were doing it, I'm sure. But, like, that's become a thing it, it, because people can't keep it in dollars, right? Because yeah. the dollar is a terrible store of value. And at best, you're going to get, like, 0.5% from your bank in a savings CD that... You have to keep locked up for two years or something ridiculous, right? Like, 
you, it's a terrible store of value. So what people end up having to do is like buy a lot of this other stuff, which tends to cause bubbles and like fluctuations and all of this other stuff. A lot well, of people like we said, yeah. If you're not buying, if you're not participating in that economy, that okay, you need to invest more. You need to buy productive assets because if you're not, then you're always falling behind. They've basically mm -hmm. created an environment where if you don't participate. You can't be passive anymore. It doesn't, mm. it's not possible. You will be poor and well, on the street. You be you passive, you'll just lose money every year. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you're going to end up poor and on the street. Because the denominator no. keeps growing while your numerator stays the same stays at best. Same. So, and yet, let's talk about domain practices in the crypto industry. Because it mm -hmm. sounds like everything you just said applies here. And that's um, weird for an industry who gets it so much. On the one hand, um, most crypto companies are adopting, you know, the .io, um, and yeah. you know, it's because they can't buy, they can't afford the other ones. That's why. And yet, there's so, that. Go ahead, Drew. That was that was that was the tie-in I was trying to make. We were talking about how good money pushes out bad money, and mm -hmm. it's a very interesting trend that I see. Is is what Tess was just saying? Is that you know. All these new crypto companies are buying the .io and then they launch, they do their ICO and 90% disappear with the money or spend it on marketing. Um, but the ones that do survive, the ones that become, I don't even want to say viable product projects, but the ones that, that you know, make a, make a go at it, um, they tend to move to the .com and mm -hmm. um, shapeshift, for example, or... Um, um, what was, there was another big one. Blockchain.info became yeah, blockchain. a Blockchain.info, perfect example. There's been, there's been quite a few. I mean, um, it's because they don't have the money and they, it's like a placeholder until they have enough money, then they'll go buy it. That's, that's basically is it same concept, right? Good money, pushing out bad, good domains, pushing out the bad. Yeah. If you yeah. give the time, you know, if, if the time frame is, is, is wide enough, mm -hmm. the good money will push out the bad. The good domains will push out the bad. And I think that that's a very similar thing that we're seeing. Um, nah, I, I don't know. I mean, I was, I just, it, it confounds me that crypto is all about addressing, you know, um, the inherent lack of trust in the centralized um, mm -hmm options because um there's so much sensitivity in the data i mean we see dot com owners regularly receiving emails intended for even enormous organizations that don't use dot com mm -hmm. i know dot com owners who are getting people's driver's license hipaa statements um all sorts of sensitive data not just from a user who forgot that you're at jimmy.net not jimmy.com but even frequently from people inside their own company can't remember that they don't own the com because they're a huge corporation or whatever um and we call that email bleeding um mm -hmm. and yet we see crypto companies who seem so aware of the social constructs and what to look out for, but they're using .o, setting themselves up in that same um, that same um, situation that the whole idea of crypto is trying to address. So, I mean, does that affect your trust in them? Does that affect 
Um, do, or, or do you think just you got to let something slide to, to build this? Yeah, I mean, if you're a centralized service, I think it's pretty, uh, you, you pretty much have to have the dot-com domain eventually. I think uh, for a lot of these companies, they can't afford it um, because they, their names are like too popular or whatever, um, or it's only four letters or something like that. It's, it's just not going to work. Um, that said, a lot of these ICOs and things, I mean, they're, they're all pretty much pure marketing. Uh, as Money as grab. Well. Yeah, so like... It, 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 like they have a specific audience. They don't intend to last a very long time. So I don't think they want to invest in a dot com because they, they just want people to like buy their stuff and get out of there. Uh, why, why invest $2 million into a domain? And then when you can buy Lambo. You know, like six months, yeah. Like when like you, you'll get like 80% of the same traffic with, you know, a .io domain or whatever, and then, you know, like, you know, be, you know, two years later, like, nobody remembers who you are. So, um, yeah, like, they're not really building for the long term. Let's just say that. Yeah. That's probably okay. So it's a statement about about the company, maybe, is fair to say. Probably, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard of um, Contrib.com. Um, we previously interviewed Chad Falkening, um, who's created Contrib. He, um, in domain names, was one of the earliest investors in domain names. Um, and interestingly enough, he was actually buying domains around blockchain and cryptocurrency in the mid-90s, um, before anyone was even talking about this stuff. Um, so Contrib now is, is Chad's project to create decentralized organizations, which are domain name centric. Um, do, do you, um, I don't know if you've heard of that project or if you want to talk about the viability of that kind of structure as new companies are created? Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm skeptical of almost anything like that says we're going to make a decentralized X. Um, Almost all of them I've noticed are centralized. So you can't be both centralized and decentralized at the same time. So it doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, I, I mean, it's possible that they have something new. Um, if they have certain domains that, that might make sense to do something interesting, then maybe. Uh, but I don't know. Like, I, I, I get very, very skeptical. I've seen a lot of decks. I've seen a lot of ICOs. I've seen a lot of projects. And... Almost all of them end up being just like a central company. And then at some point, someone says, why are we using a blockchain? Um, <laughs> Interesting. To, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Like a, a lot of these projects, yeah, like people ask me about specific ones. Like, okay, I haven't heard of that one. But here's my general rule of thumb. Um, if it's centralized, if someone's issuing a token, if somebody is in charge, it's by definition centralized. And to go from centralized to decentralized is a very, very hard road. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the only one that's done that is Bitcoin, and that's because Satoshi disappeared. And, yeah. uh, and there aren't many projects like that. So, no. uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think are, say, the top three most exciting projects that you're seeing in the crypto industry today? Um, I'd say Lightning is a big one um, and some sidechains projects. I think Liquid and Drivechains are two of the bigger ones. Uh, and, you know, this push towards, um, you know, more privacy on chain, and this includes a whole host of stuff like Mass, Graftroot, Taproot, um, maybe even Simplicity, and 
other things that are coming as part of SegWit version one, maybe two. Um, the, these are all improvements to Bitcoin that, uh, you know, give it more utility, more security, more uh, fungibility, stuff like that. So I, I'm excited for all of those. Very cool. Yeah, one of the things that interests me uh, is, so from a VC perspective, right? So you're, you're, you're working with, uh, or you're a partner in blockchain capital. Um, how do you, a, a project like um, Lightning, for example, or DriveChain, like, where's the upside of mm -hmm. um, uh, supporting that project other than increasing the value of the underlying asset? Yeah, I mean, there, there may be like businesses that come out of it if you make like a watchtower business or something like that um, and take some small fee for, you know, making sure that uh, neither party cheats or something like that, that, that could be a viable business. So, I, I mean, as a VC, what you want to do is be around the people that are <laughs> doing the innovation because they might be creating companies and th this is yeah. uh, very true of People like Mark and Jason, he was working on the Mosaic browser and then he was like, you know what, I think I can make a browser that's private that, that people buy and he, he went and uh, founded Netscape. Yeah. Um, those are the people you just kind of want to be around anyway. Yeah. So supporting projects like that is a pretty good return on investment in general. Yeah. Thanks, good feedback. But ultimately, it does come down to just being at the epicenter, mm -hmm. making sure that the right things are being done to support the overall ecosystem and drive the value of the underlying asset. Yes, absolutely. What's your overall sentiment on the market right now? Um, you know, we're going to air this in a couple weeks, but we're filming October 23rd. Um, uh, in short to midterm, bullish, bearish. What, what do you think, Jimmy? Uh, well, long term, I'm almost always bullish on this stuff. Like I said, um, uh, before, you know, as a store of value, the fluctuations will happen uh, because it's, it's not a pet currency and, you know, demand goes up and down. Um, but over the long term, because of its scarcity, I think it'll go up. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm prepared for like another year or two of a bear market, um, but I'm also very happy if things turn around sooner than that. Um, and this is how any holder should really think about stuff is, and I'm sure this is the same with like domain names. You just sort of have to hold until somebody really wants it from you and yeah. then you can sell them, right? Yeah. Um, requires, great holders. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you have to, you have to be willing to, uh, be patient on this stuff. Uh, if you're, if you're not patient, you're probably going to have a pretty bad time. <laughs> Thanks. Well, um, Jimmy, I'm so grateful for, for your time here. Um, you want to tell us any projects you're involved with right now? Any shout outs on, on your end um, before you leave Austin tomorrow? Anything going on? <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I have my programming blockchain seminar. I have uh, one coming up in Austin in mid-November. I have uh, two in Australia in early December. I have one in Las Vegas in January. I'll probably have one in February in London. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you, if you are a programmer, no Python, um, I can teach you uh, a lot of what you need to know in order to be a Bitcoin developer um, and know a lot about like the blockchain aspect of Bitcoin. So uh, that's what my website is, programmingblockchain.com. 
Um, and you know, that's, that's something that hopefully you guys can appreciate, uh, if, if you have any programmers on your podcast. A lot. I think a lot of the people, uh, are, are at least, you know, entry level or, or better. A lot of people are some degree of programmers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think highly driven, highly motivated to learn too. So that's mm-hmm. exciting. Jimmy, I'm, I'm really, it was fun to meet you. Interesting um, to see you get real excited. I wish that we could talk all day about these rabbit holes. Um, I feel like I need to go get an education on all of this. I would love to have you back on um, mm-hmm. in six months to a year, hear what's going on with your, uh, I feel like you're like a Bitcoin evangelist. Um, and <laughs> For but, sure. But much more than that, really a, a change for the world. Um, so mm-hmm. good for you. Um, uh, hats off to you. Can I say that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, just, just, just wait until you hear about all the nutrition stuff. Um, you know, like, so are you uh, subscribing yeah. to this uh, uh, Bitcoin maximalist meat? Uh, meat yeah, I, I am totally into carnivory and I got to tell you that's like a huge rabbit hole that I could spend hours on and uh and like between like uh you know what you eat and how often you eat changes your lifestyle completely you know I, I I I've had videos on this stuff but I've cut out like a ton of stuff um you know like once you sort of unplug from the matrix you realize just how much stuff you're dependent on uh, you know, like I, I stopped watching the news, I stopped following sports, I, I stopped watching movies, TV, just lots of stuff that I realized was really a part of that giant uh, monster apparatus of big government and big business that's trying to influence you into doing things that they want you to do. Um, once you unplug from that, you you can see a lot clearer what's going on in the world. And uh, I haven't had a television in 11 years. <laughs> uh, I despise politics. I despise uh-huh. the news. I uh-huh. all bullshit. I, I don't. I just you know. Yeah, I, it's amazing it's, how it's, little it's, you need to know. It doesn't affect my day to day at all. No. It's, people I, get so passionate about oh Trump's doing this or you know yeah. oh those stupid Democrats or something, and it's like I don't. Might as well I, be I mean, Roseanne Barr. I don't care. You're not going to remember this next next week. No. Like you, you don't really care. Well, and I think some people think they can't affect change if they don't know what's going on (laughs) with other people. But Uh what I really have been encountering, the more I encounter um, thought leaders in the crypto space, the more that I see change can be affected. And this is much more um, an action than a reaction. A reaction is, you know... I literally see people picketing against Trump like once a month at the certain spot in downtown Phoenix. And I'm like, really 20 people? Aren't you hot? Like (laughs) what what change are you going to affect? And yet (laughs) by not listening to the news at all, um, not having a consumptionist mentality, you are affecting global change. Um, And that is powerful and exciting and um and uh very stoic yeah you know like it's it's very much of that philosophical school which is control what you can control and don't worry about anything exactly and uh that to me is is such a liberating thing because you don't need to know about a lot of stuff 
that I mean, because it, first of all, you can't control it, right? Like a, a, a lot of this stuff, you just have to understand. Like, despite what the government tells you, that your vote counts and that you need to go vote and do all this voting, um, as if like that actually controls anything. Um, what you can control is far more than that. And people have way more influence than they think if they are not consuming, if they are instead producing. And that's, that's uh, been a big change in my life over the past year and a half, is that I've gone from a consumer to a producer and it's a lot more fulfilling that way. Life's a lot better. And, uh, and you, you're, you're starting to realize your own purpose a little bit more and you're actualizing a lot of that potential that might be latent. So, um, for me, it's, uh, you know, that journey is something that I hope for everybody. It's a lot easier to get there if you get into Bitcoin first though. So I just want, I can't help myself. I, I, I truly, you know, I, I, I'm clearly not an expert on, on Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, but I, I'm, you know, I, I have a passion for it. And so I'm, you know, high level, decent understanding. And I subscribe to people like you um, because I think that your arguments are the soundest. And so it leads me to believing that, you know, I, I guess by current uh, subscriptions I'd subscribe as a Bitcoin maximalist. <laughs> well, then I gotta say this whole thing with the with the meat thing. Like my wife is a nutritionist, and she's uh-huh. like the healthiest person you've ever met in your life. She's like it's like annoying, and um, I'm not vegan, but she is, um, and I try to eat very healthy. We're extremely let's say conscious about what we eat. And where uh-huh. it's coming from, we do not. We eat virtually no packaged foods um, or processed foods. We make you. You have that, zero, that's a very good start. I probably have like honestly, I probably have sixty thousand dollars in kitchen equipment in my house because my wife like <laughs> makes everything. Like she makes all the shit that you normally buy. She makes it, and yeah, um, I just don't get the meat thing. Like I, yeah. I actually like to eat meat on occasion, and I do. And my wife gets upset with me. But uh-huh. I still, I actually don't feel good after I eat a lot of meat. And so okay. I really, I, I can't, I don't get it. I don't get the meat okay. thing. All right, all right. Let's, let, let's get into this because uh, this stuff is important to me. All right. So I, 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 I used to be a vegetarian. I was for about okay. 20 years. Okay. okay. Uh, I, I stopped about, uh, I stopped almost six years ago. Okay. Um, and and uh, the arguments that I found uh, for... Um, being more paleo at the time uh, were very convincing, which is mm-hmm. basically our biology is a certain way, right? We have a particular way in which we um, process food and certain certain things. Yep. So our bodies have no idea what to do with sugar, for example. It's a, yeah. it's a, an invention from like a like prominence maybe three hundred years ago. Absolutely, really that we consume. Yeah. It's, it's horrible for you. Um, yeah. And, uh, and nobody really basically zero sugar. Yeah. So sugar, processed foods, preservatives, you know, artificial ingredients. Our bodies have no idea what they're doing with that. Totally. They get stored so in fat cells. They cause havoc. It's a mess. Yeah. So you and I are probably in complete agreement on that regard. Yes. I don't think very many people would argue you should be eating like some weird preservative that's in this thing that they just invented last week, right? Like yeah. that's not, that's not, that's stupid. Yeah. Uh, 
what, what our ancestors ate, if, if you eat that, well, our bodies are tuned to that, right? Like you, you're, you're part of an evolutionary history of your ancestors who mm -hmm. um, survived all this stuff. And if they weren't able to eat, you know, the stuff that your ancestors ate, then they got weeded out of the gene pool. That's just how it worked. Yeah. So if you got stomach pains every time you ate steak or something like that, you probably did not survive. So um, the people that were selected for were the ones that knew how to process uh, meat or whatever. The thing that a lot of people don't realize is that farming is fairly new. So yeah. about 20,000 years ago, people started farming. Before that, um, before that, we really didn't eat that much in vegetables or fruit. Um, and the, the, the little bit of vegetables and fruit that we ate is very different than the vegetables and fruit that you eat today. That's so a fact. Example, um, you know, Primarily apples, grains, though. Primarily grains. Well, no, not, not just grains, but look at, look at a fruit. You go into the wild and look at a normal apple tree. Yeah. How big is an apple? It's this Small. big. Okay, yeah. it is tiny. And, and somehow the seeds are the same size, right? The same size as a giant one. So what happened there? Well, it turns out that farmers bred them to be bigger and bigger, to have more flesh, to have more calories, to have more sugar. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, a lot of the farmers for the past 20,000 years, they've acted as the Monsanto of now, right? They've genetically modified a lot of stuff so that mm -hmm. it gets pulpier, fleshier. Um, you look at even something like a watermelon from 500 years ago. They have oh, renaissance yeah. things of watermelons. Yeah. And you're like, wait, that's the inside of a watermelon? The outside looks exactly the same. And then you look at the inside, it's like mostly white, white stuff, right? And it's like a little splotches of red and that's the part you're supposed to eat. What happened? Well, farmers genetically modified uh, watermelon so that it would be mostly flesh, even like from 20 years ago, right? Like think about watermelons but, 20 years ago. It was like black seeds, right? It was mostly black seeds. Nowadays, you get most watermelons, they're seedless. They, in 20 years, they progressed the genetics of watermelons so that you don't have to even eat the seeds. Like this is the amount of like genetic engineering that's been going on with fruits and vegetables. But Did that you know selection has happened on the humans as well. Yeah, well, well, so let me, let me finish. So you, you look at something like carrots, right? Like some, mm -hmm. something, a vegetable that people think is healthy. Well, you look at a carrot in the wild, a carrot in the wild is purple and white. A carrot that's domesticated is orange. You know who made it orange? It was the Dutch. The Dutch made it orange, okay? Because they have an obsession with the color orange. They wanted it to be like a national thing. They made it orange. Okay. Do you think they were thinking about nutrition when they were breeding carrots to be orange? No. no. No, they were not. So a lot of the stuff that you're eating in the grocery store, a lot of the fruits and vegetables that you, you know, like kale didn't exist 10,000 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. It's a fairly new thing. Broccolini didn't exist like maybe even a hundred years ago, right? Like that was like a product of something that somebody came up with. Our bodies don't know how to process fiber. That's why it goes straight through you and out your other end and why you're so regular when you eat fiber. It's uh, uh, you, you have to be a cow to process fiber and cows have four stomachs and swallow things and eat 18 hours a day. That's not what humans, human bodies are good at. 20,000 years uh, over uh, of... Um, adaption just isn't enough to change your body that much yeah and really for that most of the calories that humans ate 
came from me. So mm-hmm. if um, really what when but when I say, you, say you, you have you can't ignore the fact that what you're saying applies entirely, if not even more, to the protein industry. Okay, so yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's true. So they've been bred to be fatter uh, chickens. Yeah, like you know they they're bred to have much larger breasts and stuff yeah. like that. And that, that's absolutely true. So most but people don't understand that, right? So, oh, but the, but that, the genetic cycle of, of these animals are way longer than fruit or vegetables. You can, you, you can, you can do like, uh, you know, two batches of, uh, of a particular vegetable every year. Uh, so you, you, you get like many, many more generations out of be- vegetables and fruit. You three batches so, of dogs. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, you look at uh, you know something like a bison, which is a wild cow, more or less. Yeah. Uh, the cow genetically, they're not that different. But you look at an apple today in a grocery store, that is very different than an apple in the wild, and mm-hmm. it's it's largely like just it's bred to be sh- sweeter, right? It was a candy of the Middle Ages, right? Mm-hmm. Like you gave kids like something super sweet. Uh, so I want to just summarize, hold on, I, up to this point, I just want to summarize two things. One is, up to this point, your, your argument about all the bad things regarding fruits and vegetables are primarily, um, uh, or what I'm taking out of it, is primarily focused on sugar, and that we're in totally Well, great. not just sugar, but there, there's a lot of other ingredients as a part of that, like farming, um, that, that get in there that, that we don't really understand yet, right? Like you would not eat like a preservative that they invented yesterday. In fact, you probably shouldn't uh, even eat something that was invented 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, the genetic modifications that have happened to fruits and vegetables over the last 10,000 years, our bodies just don't know how to handle. So like there, there's stuff in spinach, like if you eat too much of it, it will just literally poison you, right? Like there, there, um, and a lot of like what you call antioxidants, they're, they're actually your body like pushing against uh, a, a lot of stuff that it, that it considers like a foreign body. It's a, it's, a, it's a way of making your body a little more anti-fragile, things like that. Um, but a, as far as fruits and vegetables, there are all sorts of undiagnosed allergies or like stuff. Allergies oh. are really saying your body just doesn't know how to handle this. Stuff, yeah, yeah right? totally. Like, or discovering this with gluten. I, I'm sure in the next 10 years, there will be like all sorts of other chemicals or things that are in this stuff that were like, oh man, we had no idea that this was like, this was, this is why I've been tired so often. Or so, this is why I can't like, you know, walk without knee pain or whatever. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that in vegetables and stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, like that have been put in them over the last 10,000 years. This is not what our ancestors ate. So when I say carnivory, it's not necessarily that I love meat, although I do. It is <laughs> about the elimination of almost everything else. I started with the elimination of, you know, chemicals and processed foods yeah. and like preservatives and stuff like that. Obvious. That takes you to paleo. Um, and then I eliminated fruits because they were, I knew that they were bred to be sweet and they have been for the last 10,000 years. And then I eliminated vegetables because they, they too have that similar dynamic. Um, and then what are you left with? Well, you're left with meat. You're left with, uh, you, know, uh, you know, dairy products and things like that. That's more or less what carnivory is. Um, but so and dairy, I mean, the, the, the evidence that dairy is bad for us is overwhelming. Well, it depends. 
So it depends, right? Like, so at lactose is very bad for you um, if, if, you're, if you're not of like Northern European origin. Oh, and, but the hormones are even worse. Forget about the lactose. Like, yeah, sure, you're going to yeah. fart a lot. Great. But yeah. like the, the, the hormones, I mean, th- those hormones are causing cellular growth at an exponential level to what our human cells yeah, yeah. are so, making. I mean, that's a lot of what they inject in the cows, right? So, like the more no, natural, even, even a natural cow, a totally uninjected cow. Okay, forget mm-hmm. about the anti- antibiotics. Forget mm-hmm. about um, the lactose. Forget about all those other arguments, which are a bit more obvious. It's mm-hmm. take a cow hormone. Okay, so so a mother cow feeds a baby cow. Baby cow mm-hmm. drinks the milk. It's getting hormones, which cause cell growth, which is why you get a baby cow that might weigh. I don't know, mm-hmm. what does baby cow weigh, 30 kilos? And then suddenly, a year later, that baby cow is like 100 kilos and, mm-hmm. or 150 kilos. And it's because the cellular growth is happening exponentially faster than, say, a baby that's like three kilos, and then a year mm-hmm. later, it's like five kilos or seven kilos, you know? Because the cell growth is, is, is a fraction of what it is in a cow, and that's all driven by hormones. And so, like, when you give me cow hormones um, mm-hmm. as a non-baby, okay, it, it becomes much worse later in life, um, especially, like, above a certain age, maybe 30, 35, 40, suddenly, okay, now I get all those hormones, and the cells which are reproducing are, like, those precancerous cells, those cells which are really, really bad, that cause really bad things in my body, are reproducing at exponentially faster than they should because I'm taking cow hormones. Well, so I, um, I haven't studied that aspect of it, but uh, I, I usually the, the dairy product- That's the product primary argument from my perspective lacking, against dairy. La- lacking the lactose because they're, it's more like cheese and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, which uh, which uh, basically the bacteria eat, eat all of the cheese or, or the lactose because that's the sweet stuff, and mm-hmm. then you're you're left with everything else. That's usually what that's I. Eat. What you call no. cheese? If you call it, you know, if you're talking about unpasteurized actual cheese, the way it's meant to be made. Yeah, yeah. It's, yes, there are there are carnivores that don't do dairy either. Um, yeah. In which they're more more or less eating uh, steak. But here's the thing, like, uh, you know. Going on that lifestyle, what, what you actually end up feeding yourself is a lot more protein, a lot more fat, a lot less carbs, almost zero carbs, actually, if you, if you do that. And, uh, and it, it causes like all sorts of physiological change. So I, I've slept a lot better. I have a lot more energy and I feel like crap if I don't get stuff during, done during the day. Yeah. And, uh, and the, these are all sort of things that I never really had before when I was eating a lot of this other stuff. So uh, the proof is in the pudding. I like just give it a shot if you're curious and see, yeah. see how you feel. Like one meal isn't going to do it, right? Like if you eat steak one time and you go, okay, well, I feel no, terrible. Of course. Like, uh, this is the sort of thing you have to do for like, you know, a three, month. four weeks before you, you, you see any sort of results. Yeah. You might not like it, in which case, you know, great. But um, but you know, there, there are lots of people that have all of these health ailments that are like, oh my God, a lot of that went away. Maybe it was some sort of like undiagnosed allergy to particular foods. Mm-hmm. And then they slowly maybe try to add something back um, and, and you know, try to figure out what it is because our, our bodies are pretty complicated um, and there, there are lots of things that we just simply do not understand very well. Most. Uh, so if 
stick with what your body, uh, you know, what your ancestors like kind of ate, uh, you're, it's probably going to function a lot better than all of like eating a Twinkie or something, right? Like it's like, um, so but that's yeah. a bit of an extreme argument. So I'm like, I just want to say one more thing. You can comment on that. <laughs> probably uh-huh. wrap this up, but I believe, okay. That because I, have you read, read the book, eat right for your type? Uh, that's, is that a blood type book or something yeah. like that? Okay. Yeah. I, I ha- I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. Well, I've read primarily because of my wife. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, more, you know, like probably as much as you've read about economics, I've read about <laughs> various types of nutrition and I don't subscribe to any of these fad diets. I don't like, I'm not an extremist in any direction. I'm a, I'm a let's say a moderate, like mm-hmm. I eat a moderate amount of meat. I limit my carbs. I don't eat mm-hmm. any sugar, um, mm-hmm. other than what comes naturally from, you know, some fruits and vegetables. Um, I probably eat more fruit than I should eat, but other than that, like I eat pretty healthy, um, and I eat too many potato chips. I just can't give up potato chips. But that's got a lot of processed stuff. In there. I know, I know, I know. I, it's literally, it's, it's. I just, it's my one thing. I just, it's like crack. I just can't. I, I, the potato chips are the one thing. So, oh, well, we'll talk about fasting next time. But yeah. So, well, I, I do fast. I mean, I basically do intermittent fasting. I don't eat until about noon every day. My last meal is around uh, 7. No, we, we need to talk about long-term fasting because that's okay. the real effective stuff. Yeah. But um, the one thing of all of this stuff I've read that really made sense to me, other than, um, uh, is it Linus Pauling with the vitamin C argument? I, which I really subscribe to. But it's the, the, the eat right for your type. It's your ancestors come from a certain region. So it's very much in line with what your belief is. It's, you know, your ancestors come from a certain region. Those people had a certain diet. That diet has influenced your um, genealogy and your biology. And so therefore, you know, you're meant to eat certain things and not meant to eat certain things because your body doesn't know how to process them and digest them. And so that makes a lot of sense to me. There's even way more interesting arguments um, if, you, if you read the book. Um, but it makes sense to me that your blood type dictates to a degree what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. And by following more or less, when I find myself very strictly following the eat right for your type diet, I find myself, like you said, feeling very good. Now, you're obviously Asian ancestry. I imagine you're not an O type blood type. No, I'm B. Yeah. And so, so B is, a, is, is the more flexible uh, uh, of them. Um, a is definitely like strictly you are, you should be vegan. Um, Mm -hmm. O is really your mediator and, um, B is like somewhere, you know, you're like the moderate guy. Um, so I find it interesting that you feel so good eating just meat, but, um, I mean, I like, I got, I got to tell you, I did the raw diet back when I was a vegetarian for a month and I felt fantastic then too. Yeah. And I'm not sure what it was about that. Um, like what I've done that too. And I also feel amazing, but that's a really, I, I just love food yeah. too much. It just kind of, well, I mean, I, 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 I like, I, I'm getting a lot of the, sim- a lot of similar effects out of like eating meat. And this, again, like you said, it's probably more, uh, personal than we, uh, and you need to probably study yourself just as much, but I'm just telling you what's why I am and what's worked for me. Um, and it's, it's actually pretty fun because I'm like smoking meats and like, uh, doing a lot more grilling and stuff like that. Kids love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. In in a sense, it's, uh, it's, it's been kind of a fun thing for me. Um, and 
you know, uh, you know, I haven't eaten today yet, but I'll, I'll probably, uh, try to figure out like what, what fun meat I can like cook up in the next <laughs> few hours or something. So, um, anyway, uh, we went off on a, off the deep end there down one we of did. these rabbit. Like I said, there's another huge rabbit hole with fasting that I can get you on. There's another whole one on like, you know, like the nature of, um, certain things. Um, you know, like, you know, I, some might say like, that's kind of conspiratorial, Jimmy. Yeah, it is. But you know, there, there's a reason why the there's underlying reasons. Yeah. To, yeah. Wants you to you know, like take so many drugs and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, we could talk about that some other time, but yeah, yeah. It, it's been fun. I, well, we would I mean, definitely really love wild. to have you back on. Yeah, it's really wild yeah. how the attitude towards Bitcoin and crypto, it affects everything. It's a lifestyle. It, it can be totally. a lifestyle. Um, you much, you much start with trying to get rich and you end up like, oh man, we can make civilization better uh, by like opening people's eyes on a lot of issues. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. And you're a big deal, Jimmy. Um, thank you so much for coming. Um, I, I do hope that we have you back on and, uh, uh, on or offline. I certainly hope we get to talk again. Um, All right. Well, yeah. uh, one of these days we'll, we'll have to have a, uh, what I call a carnivory dinner. Um, this is where I get like a bunch of people that are into Bitcoin and, uh, and meet, and we just like have a dinner, um, and talk about this stuff and the, the stuff that people talk about at those dinners. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's, it's just so interesting because pretty much everyone has been like going down different rabbit holes and they'll tell you about the rabbit hole that yeah. they've been going. Uh, so they're really, really fun. Um, I, I don't know, like maybe uh, sometime when I'm near you, wherever you guys are, uh, we'll, we'll get to do that. If that you find yourself in, uh, in or near uh, Portugal, Spain, you know, please, uh -huh. please let me know. I, I'd love to uh, get <laughs> well, together. London next February, maybe you can come up for that conference. Or totally. Something. I totally yeah. love to. Mm -hmm. Okay. Super cool. All right, Jimmy Song, come again. See Jimmy, thank you so much. Really thank a pleasure. You. Yeah.